Hi, this is Barry Bostwick. Uh, I played Brad Majors in uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show, and you're listening to Without Your Head. And some people say that's how I got involved with the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I didn't use my head. station of decapitation without your head i'm nasty neil and i'm joined by christopher Elender, director of the old ways which is on netflix right now and it's coming out digital october 12th which is not very far from now next week yeah thanks for having me thanks for doing this and i, I really yeah. like the old ways even before we set up the interview i saw the uh the poster and the trailer and i, I was very intrigued cool thank you yeah Glad it's glad it's getting around. Yeah, for people not aware yet, which they should be, but if they're not, I can give them an idea of what it's about. Hmm. Me or you? Yeah, yeah, you. <laughs> oh, me. Probably better yes. from you. It's you know, it's about ninety minutes long. Um, there you go. No, That's all they need. Um, yeah, you know, it's easy. Uh, yeah, it's about uh, it's a horror film, obviously. Um, kind of a twist on an exorcism um, kind of structure. And uh, it's about a woman who was born in Mexico, but was raised in the U S and returns to her home kind of region and uh, is captured by some mysterious Bruja, which is a witch doctor uh, and is told that she has a demon inside of her and that they're going to take it out uh, at all costs. So, Chaos ensues and a um, bunch of magic and witchcraft and um, scary things and yeah, all that, all that good stuff. So how did you get involved? Did you, uh, did you know the writer the, who wrote the screenplay? Yeah. Uh, Marcos um, and I have been collaborators since we met in college in the mid nineties. And um, we've been making, commercials and movies and shorts and all kinds of stuff ever since. And, um, this was inspired. Uh, he was born in Puerto Rico and, um, was inspired by some kind of outlandish tales that his mother had told him, um, which blew his mind when he was younger. Cause he was raised very kind of traditional Catholic and, um, to suddenly be hearing tales of, um, brujas or brujos and healers and um mysticism was very um abstract to him and really stuck with him especially as like a young horror fan that he was growing up and he and i have kind of kicked it around um 
for years. And then finally he kind of cracked it and was like, you know, I think we could take these stories and kind of shift the perspective on the traditional exorcism story and, um, and do something really interesting and unique. And I was like, yeah, this is, this is pretty dope. Um, so we, uh, you know, we did a quick kind of vomit draft of it and it was really cool. And then we, I jumped in with him and we started researching and honing it and kind of going back and forth and working backwards from some things that we would find on, uh, like online or in the library or, um, stories we would hear from people and kind of develop this whole world together over maybe a year, year and a half. And then, um, started making it. Yeah. Since he grew up with the stories and, you know, you started to, to research, um, uh, you know, it's a new world to you, I assume. So, you know, what did you think when you started to, to look into this? Yeah. I mean, that was, um, I'm super curious by nature. So I, you know, every little nugget that we would discover was just kind of like another rabbit hole to go down. And yeah. I really geek out on the, the research phase and the, the prep and the world building and all that stuff. So it was, um, it was just, it was just really interesting and, and, and fun and um, such a vivid um, kind of palette that we had to play with. And then we started bringing on more collaborators and producers and, and people, other people with, you know, Latin American backgrounds that had more um, input and um, their own stories and their own kind of perspective on stuff. And we just kind of had this really collaborative uh, experience where we were building something kind of out of thin air, but, but using, you know, being as authentic as we could with, with the spirit of it, but um, definitely making the horror movie version of it, yeah. you know, did you get to witness like any real uh, brujas or healers <laughs> or anything like that? No, not really. I mean, we've met some healers and stuff like that, but mostly it was through documentaries, um, news article, news like clippings we could find interviews with people uh, and like random like YouTube videos that if you get down that rabbit hole, it, it's hard to climb back out of it. But um, hopefully one day, you know, we'll get to go meet some more um, people who've lived this, this world and maybe we could do a sequel or something like that. Yeah. Interesting. So uh, you said he's a uh, Marcos grew up also like a horror movie fan. Uh, you yeah. yourself, are you a horror movie fan? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say exclusively like he, I wasn't the kid who only watched horror movies. I Neither was, I, even, I, even yeah, yeah. I was more into kind of anything that had any of that stuff in it. So if it was horror or sci-fi or fantasy kind of, just all the nerd edge of the stuff, right. you know, like, which is cool. So it wasn't, yeah, cool so maybe yeah. even, yeah, exactly. Maybe even, um, even doses of it. Um, so he's definitely more the like dyed in the wool, um, aficionado. And I was more, I, I, I tend to gravitate towards things with hyphens. It's like, it's a horror sci-fi or horror, you know, like alien and, yeah. um, all the Spielbergy kind of ones and um, poltergeist and exorcist and, yeah. or if there's like a period element to it, or if it's historically based, even in the loosest sense, you know, that kind of stuff I always seems to attract me more than just like straight eighties slashers, um, which I enjoyed when I was a kid, but they don't hold up for me the same way that, that like a, an alien or Terminator or, even I mean I I do love uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Still, I still enjoy that. Like, legitimately enjoy that. But a lot of the more fan, you know, you're talking about yeah. things with hyphen, but there is more of a fantasy element to Nightmare on yeah. Elm Street than a lot of the other uh, slasher films. Yeah, and then like super filmmakery ones. Like I loved um, anything Sam Raimi or Coen Brothers or um, like. Uh, the Palma and Hitchcock and all that, you know, any of those that like really had a real filmmaker's touch to them got me as well. So, I mean, I'm, I, I, I just know because I produce a lot of horror now and I go to the festivals, like I know what the difference between me and like 
a person who sure. <laughs> bleeds horror is, but compared yeah. to a normal audience member, I'm definitely a fairly big horror fan. Yeah. Well, I always thought I was a big horror fan until I was, I was in LA a couple of years ago, right before the uh, pandemic. I went to the, uh, it was in Burbank. They have like every month at the time they did a uh, horror uh, trivia. And those oh. people were way, way, way uh, where, where? Cause I, that's where, I work in Burbank. That's okay. where we filmed the movie. It was in Burbank. Oh, so there's some horror trivia for you that they don't know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, one of the questions, it was like, what was the kill count in RoboCop two? And it was like 118 or something. I was like, how could anyone possibly just know that? That must be just a recurring trivia <laughs> question or something. I don't know. But it was, yeah, at a, it was like at a toy store. I'm not sure the, the name of it now. In Burbank. Wow. I don't know. I don't know. I think they do it uh, virtually at the moment. Yeah, I bet. I'm trying to think where that would be. A toy store. Well, I, I'm a valley rat now, so I oh. tend to know all the places. But yeah. So, uh, what were the? You know, you mentioned a lot of movies there. Were there any in particular that like, made you like when you were young? Like this was something I would like to do. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely. I mean, that was born the year Star Wars came out, and was raised on like a bootleg copy of that um where like people stood up at the end during the credit (laughs) um so that was kind of my first taste i mean very very young before i could even talk um but um all this lucas spielberg uh, a lot of the henson stuff you know um dark crystal um labyrinth those types of things and then a lot of anime i got really into animation at a young age like wanted to be an animator um until i was a teenager and have still incorporated that into my repertoire um but i'm not like a professional disney animator but um you know so i got really into secret of nim and um a lot of the kind of classic horror or horror classic disney yeah. animation and some of the Bluth stuff. And um, so became kind of a animation snob at a young age and then kind of segued that into live action. And now I always kind of incorporate, there's always like some VFX or some animation or a puppet or a Muppet or whatever, you know, um, in almost everything I do. So that's kind of the, the thread <laughs> That ties yeah. them all together. Well, you said Raimi really like, uh, especially Evil Dead Part Two. That really is like a live action, like adult version of Looney Tunes. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and I watched that like great because I discovered that pretty late, like probably in high school or whatever, and just loved it. And but you know, at the age where I was already interested in filmmaking, so I could, I really loved. And you know, the more I would it was harder back then because we didn't really have the internet, but you know, if you'd find the whatever Fangoria or Cinefix or whatever, some, some magazine that would talk about how they made the movies or a book about it. And it was just fascinating to be like, wow, they didn't have any money. They were in the woods with a, you know, a two by four strapped to the camera. And um, so that was super inspiring at a young age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you mention um, bootleg of Star Wars, like uh, <laughs> there is something weird, like because now you can watch like pretty much everything at any time. It's streaming somewhere, or you can you know easily get the DVD or Blu-ray. But yeah. there is a certain appreciation, I think, for some of the movies back when either you'd only see them when they would happen to air on TV, or if you had a weird bootleg. Because a lot of the weird horror movies, so not even weird, but like The Burning and the first Evil Dead, like they were hard to find unless you just got like the the third generation bootleg on, on VHS somewhere. Yeah. yeah. You always had to have a friend, you know, I always had a friend who had access to weird stuff or like I had a friend down the street who somehow, I don't know where he got all of his money, but he had a catalog where he would order anime from Japan and you had, to, and you had no, like, it was like tiny, like phone book font. <laughs> yeah. And it would be like demon hunter J or whatever. And then it would just have like one sentence about it. And that's it. And he'd be like, okay, $60. I mean, it was, I don't know what it was, but it seemed yeah. like an insane amount of money because they were imported from Japan and whatever. Um, and you'd have no idea if they're even going to be decent, let alone good, you know? And so it was a big crapshoot every time. And 
but there was always somebody like you always had a friend like that who had you know who knew about oh if i go to this comic book store i can do this or the person at this movie store won't um card us if we want to rent faces of death <laughs> yeah um yeah so you had to have someone in the know and it was never me but i always knew knew someone who knew someone yeah oddly enough i was never carded for anything uh until leatherface 3d like five years ago i was like 40 i think <laughs> when it came out <laughs> it was funny. very strange you asked me for id at a movie theater wow yeah i yeah. don't know if i've ever First time ever. I remember even was, seeing a couple horror movies when I was a like, kid, and my mom would actually write me a note in case they would ask me. But yeah. it never, it never came up. Yeah, it was more at the movies, like the rental stores, where I felt like they were a little more adamant about it. Especially yeah. if it was like a chain, you know, they had rules. Yeah, I didn't but, know this at uh, the time, but my mom actually told me later. She actually signed a thing that I could rent anything. So I suppose that's why uh, they never carded me at the. That's funny. At the video, at the video store. But uh, when you mentioned like um, anim- animation and stuff, it made me think of the, the original uh, artwork on the old ways poster because it has that old like classic kind of comic book feel to it. I really like it. Yeah, like the EC Comics yeah. kind of look. There were some good like some old because we made that for the um, for the festival. We were like, oh, this would be fun. That. We could do something. Yeah. We could do something cool for the festival where you know they're never going to let us do this if we get a real release. And, um, so we hired this guy Felipe Flores, who's a Mexican American artist here that um, we've worked with one other time on another project, and he's just awesome, man. I mean, I gave him a few kind of basic, like we wanted the EC Comics style, but we also went on like a like a Struzan esque, like you know Raiders of the Lost Ark kind yeah, of. Yeah, I um, totally see that too. Yeah, you know that type of layout, but then mm-hmm. drawn like in the style of of like um, a tales from the crypt or something like that um so he just killed it um and people love it so we've ended up using it like in the actual release which we never intended um i mean it's on the you know on netflix and everything but um there'll be a different cover for the blu-ray yeah when i saw it i honestly did think i bet they use this for the festival because it happens a lot i'll be at festivals and the really cool like you know hand-painted uh posters and then it'll be different. And I mean, sometimes it works out, but sometimes it, it really takes away the, uh, the cool factor for me. Cause it'll be very typical orange blue kind of. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, but we wanted also like lean in the, because the movie kind of evolves as you watch it sure. and it becomes more of a like pulpier fun thing. Uh, we wanted to kind of hint at that with the poster so that, people didn't think they were just getting into like a chamber drama um, too early. So I think, I think it worked. I'm, I'm happy with it. It's beautiful. Unfortunately, we didn't get to go. We premiered at Sitges in Spain and um, it was like right in the height of the first wave, I think, or yeah. something like that. Maybe it was a second wave by then, but so we weren't able to go. And so we never, I never even had like a real <laughs> tangible print out of it. Did One you get day. to see it uh, at any of the festivals? Well, if it did premiere there, I guess you did get to see it at any festival with people, with an audience? Yeah, eventually I did in April, because we premiered in October, I think, or September of last year um, in Spain. But then in April, it had died down, and um, they uh, were doing in-person screenings at the Florida Film Festival, which is actually the um, town where Marcus grew up, the writer, um, so we were like, oh, that'd be cool to have our U.S. premiere there and get to see it with real people and on a real screen. So we flew back for that. And that was that was nice. And then we did like a there was like a little kind of ex- exhibition kind of thing that we did in um, uh, Austin a few months later. And then we had a like a premiere kind of deal here right before it came out. Um, that was probably our biggest screening because we had like less. um capacity restrictions uh, so that was fun it was fun to get to see that although that was a lot of filmmaker or like a, a lot of the cast and crew so like they kind of knew sort of knew what to expect um i'd like to see it with that size of audience um yeah. with strangers you know yeah, yeah. But, um we've got one more festival coming up in um provo utah called film quest um so excited to see that one last time before 
yeah. before it's on home video and everything for the rest of eternity. Had you had uh, any previous uh, uh, festivals? Like, did you go them either, either even just yourself going to them or have any other films or, or shorts at festivals? Yeah. Like I've, I've, I've produced quite a few films over the last, mostly in the last three, four years, but over the last 10 years. So I've, I was getting pretty ingrained in the whole like midnight circuit. Like we did TIFF midnight and we've done Sundance and we've done South by and fantastic and Fantasia just as premieres. And then we've done, you know, all the big sitges and all the, all the ones around the world. So that's been great as a producer. And I was really looking forward to my yeah. directorial debut. Uh, Cause nobody cares about produced <laughs> unfortunately um but um yeah i had got to miss that unfortunately on this round but um but yeah we've done i've kind of gotten gotten to the point where like now i know people when i go and we can get you know complimentary waivers on our submissions because our movies already played there once or you know a different movie had played there so we're alums and stuff like that so I feel like I was really starting to get into the community and then, you know, the screeching breaks uh, with the pandemic came on and hopefully uh, we'll get to get into it again here next year and have some more fun stuff to show. Yeah. He said directorial debut. So when you started to make films, was that your goal that you wanted to direct? Yeah. Yeah. I always wanted to direct and, and I direct like commercials and, Mm-hmm. promos and music videos and stuff like that but um i was have been looking for like the right and, and i've had projects that like like i uh, had a project set up at bad robot for a long time that um was kind of like a start and stop development kind of cycle thing so it's like time just kept slipping away and i had things kind of lined up that felt like they were going to happen and they didn't happen so this was a real thing where marcus and i were like let's just throw caution to the wind and go make something before we're too old to do anything <laughs> and prove to ourselves and hopefully the rest of the world that we can um, pull it off. And um, I'm really glad we did. Cause had I not done that, it would have sat around for another two years, you know, yeah. without anything to show for it. So, um, cause we wrapped like two days before the lockdown in LA. Yeah, I don't, I don't make this about me at all, but uh, I produced my first feature last. We filmed it in February, March, and uh, we're oh, just cool. now starting to get back to it because everything obviously wasn't hold for a lot. We shot it before the pandemic or after? It's right before, but we okay. Yeah, that's when we shot. Right, yeah, yeah, we shot in February and beginning it was of March. Really, like a, yeah, then... a couple weeks later, the next week, I think everything was crazy. Done. Yeah. Yeah. Did you lock, did you finish production or did you have to no, stop? No, that's what we just start. We actually are starting on the 10th to uh, oh, get a few more things done. So that sucks. Where are you based? I'm in Massachusetts, but yeah, it, oh. we were, I went out to LA to do it. Yeah. Oh, you did. There's so much good, so much good witch stuff there. That's true. It's not Our... a witch movie, but yeah, so yeah, Salem, not too far from me. Oh, that's cool. Our editor, Matt, is from up in that area. Um, I don't know if he's from Massachusetts or from, um, uh, I think he's from New Hampshire. Yeah. I, honestly, so we, most parts of New Hampshire would be closer to Salem than I am. I'm on the yeah. Cape and it's not really. So we always make, he's our resident witch. Uh, so we're always teasing him about that. But Salem's really interesting because cool. there's, there's like the actual old stuff that's really interesting. And then there's the very like touristy stuff that's kind of silly but it's kind of fun too in its own way yeah, it's like a big statue of the of uh bewitched and i'm like i don't know what that really has to do with <laughs> them, but i guess it's kind of funny yeah um elizabeth montgomery yeah right i don't think she was burned at this st- well i don't i i went on the walking tour they weren't actually burned they were hung but yeah we don't need to talk about that so <laughs> speaking I, of without your head Exactly, exactly. And some of them were, were crushed, which does not sound pleasant. Crushed? I did not yeah. know that. Yeah. Well, I do remember that, the walking tour. And uh, one guy was crushed over several days, and he never admitted <laughs> to being a witch. And, died. and I was like, it was a He's very like, I'm a warlock. <laughs> does not no, sound you're like a witch. Go, so. You're a witch. <laughs> yeah. I'm a warlock. You ever have your choice of how to go, I do not recommend being crushed to death. No, 
That's no. the moral of, uh, of the show. I, I wave. I wave my right to that. <laughs> All right. So, uh, uh, casting the movie, how how um, hands are on uh, hands on are you during the casting? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, it was intense. Um, you know, I was to be honest, I was most scared going into it about, or you know, most concerned about the Bruja um, loose because she doesn't have like a lot of lines um she's in the movie a lot but it's like she's standing there or she's doing a ritual or she's doing you know and she's it's a it's a lot more of like a tone and feel thing so i was pretty concerned that we wouldn't even i didn't even know like how we were going to audition that i had to lean on our um casting team to to help us a little bit or quite a bit there and but then like on the first day of callbacks, people they brought in, um, we found Julia, who we ended up casting, and she was just amazing. And I was like, oh, thank God, this is going to be easy. And um, it wasn't. Because, uh, you know, well, we found the next two, uh, Miranda, played by Andrea Cortez, super easy. Like, she came in, like, yeah, yeah, she's it. We did it. And then Sal came in to audition for Javi, and he was the polar opposite of the way the role was written, but he was so good um, that we were like, yep, he's the guy <laughs> change everything. We thought that was going to be. And then um, it took us forever to find the, the lead role of Christina, um, which for some reason I thought was going to not be so hard because I was like, it's a good role. Like there's tons of Latina actresses in that age range in LA, like anywhere you go, <laughs> you know, um, I thought it would just be no problem. And it was so much harder than I had thought. We found so many great actors in their own right, but they kind of couldn't hit all the different facets of the character who we discovered through the audition process was more complicated than we even thought. Um, And they would be able to hit one or two or three of the, like they can be tough, but they're, they can't be like vulnerable or they can be vulnerable, but not tough. And they can be funny, but not this, or they can be sad, but that. Um, and so we ended up pushing um, production two or three times. Uh, we had to say, we don't have act yet. We can't shoot the movie. Um, and we almost got to the point where we may have needed to cancel because we just couldn't like ask the crew to be on hold anymore. And we didn't know when we'd be able to pick it back up. And then, I think Bridget was working on another project or something. And so she hadn't been to any of the other auditions and she came in in the 11th hour and we were all like, yes, finally we found her. Um, she was amazing. And, and um, we didn't have any rehearsal time. We kind of had to just start shooting right away as soon as we signed all the contracts and um, we just hit the ground running and figured it out together. And it was um worked out you know it was good but it was kind of a risk at the time so what was it about her specifically that like oh she's right for this role it was just the sum of everything you know i mean she looked like what we imagined she might look like she was super tough like she's physically extremely strong and could deal with what ultimately is like 80 minutes of having her ass handed to her in the movie um, in a way that you felt like she could become a hero at some point. Um, She had the ability to like hide this trauma in a way that felt very believable. Um, She could be very vulnerable when required, um, but also as a character be able to like put on like a tough exterior shell um she just had it all and super prepared um just really did her homework and and um came to the table with ideas and um opinions and a point of view for everything and um challenged me as a director to you know make sure i had the answers for everything yeah, uh, or a way to come up with the answer. Um, 
yeah, it was just, it was just, and we had, there were probably about four or five of us between the producers and the writer and me and um, who were kind of weighing in on, you know, thumbs up, thumbs down for everybody. And we could just never get, we got like all but one thumb on a couple of different people, um, but couldn't, there was always one holdout somewhere that would be like, eh, but it, can she do this? And we're like, oh, I guess you're right. No, sorry. Um, but she was the first one that like, it was, you know, the only one that was thumbs up across the board and we jumped on the opportunity to hire her and uh, the rest is history. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting. We said about uh, uh, Julia who plays loses because in my notes, I wrote, she has a lot of presence and um, which comes through even in the stills, I think. But uh, as yeah. you said, that would be hard to, what do you do? How do you do the cast for that? Do they just come in and you look at yeah. it. Yeah. Cause she's not in makeup, you know, when they audition. Right. So she's, she, you know, is younger than we're insinuating with the movie. And she's got regular, I mean, she can't, she actually showed up with like her most kind of uh, authentic clothes that she owned, you know, the most yeah. kind of traditional looking stuff, but it was nowhere near like handmade rags and bones. You know, it wasn't anything yeah. like that. Um, pretty wild. But she, but she gave it her all, you know, it was, it was more like, it was almost like auditioning a dancer or something because it was more body awareness, <laughs> um, posture, intensity. We kind of came up with some little weird, almost exercises to go through. Um, but it was, it was, it was daunting for me because I was, I'd never had to cast you know, if you're like, here, read all these lines, make it work. You know, that, that makes sense to me in a audition or, but the kind of nonverbal, <laughs> uh, thing was, was, a was a challenge that I wasn't expecting. And, um, luckily we found her and she, but that's the thing. It's all in casting. You know, you just, you just got to find the right people. And when you find the right people, they know how to do it, you know? Um, so when when do you see or when did you see get to see her like in full makeup and in uh in her wardrobe we did a test like maybe a week or two before i don't think it was full wardrobe but we had because we had the we had the dress made from scratch but then it had to be distressed and all that stuff too so it looked like she'd been in it for years and um, and then there's layers and layers of like jewelry that we either borrowed or made. And, and then like our prop guy, Derek would like, you would love him. He's like, he'd go to like, Oh, we need more bones. So he'd like go to Costco and get a rotisserie chicken and eat it for lunch. <laughs> and then be like, I, love okay, it, yeah. I got some bones and he's like threading <laughs> them up and like putting them on her. He made the whole, like, um, that, coyote skull um staff and everything from scratch and it was um little by little you know and we we had to do a lot of experimenting to try to make them because we had me and Callie the makeup artist had come up with like our design for the um for the makeup but it was you know it was like on our iPad. Um, so we had to find out like what were the actual materials we were going to use to make it that felt um authentic like she could have you know it's not like this woman's not sitting in a makeup chair every morning getting all pretty before she does her exorcism this is something that like she got some clay out of the stream and she's got a bowl of that and she's got a bowl of chicken blood or something and she just slaps it on without a mirror probably and so it had to feel you know it had to look cool and movie like and whatever but it also had to there had to be an air of believability to how she may have actually achieved that as well so that took that took some some rounds of just like let's try this type of makeup let's try this type of stuff let's try this let's try this technique um until we could kind of nail that um but super super fun i mean when she started to take form it was like oh yeah <laughs> here she is the bruja no, uh, like the prop guy you mentioned and everyone on, on the crew, were they people you worked with like on, on other things and commercials and stuff, or were they just people you, to a certain, to, to a certain degree, um, you know, the commercial 
lifestyle and the independent film lifestyle are very different. Um, so there's not a lot of as much crossover um, because the indie indie film people are more like kind of nomadic and um, wandering minstrels, if you will. <laughs> and the commercial people tend to have like a house and a family and they want to get home by a certain time so they can see the kids. And, you know, they're not like, some of them do, you know, but, you know, not, not as many of them are like, I'm just going to go live on the side of a mountain for six weeks and not see anybody, you know, right. like that. It's a kind of a different head space. Um, so a little bit um, more on the post side, I was working with people that I work with all the time. But um, as for the production crew, these are people that we me and some of the other producers had worked with, um, on other independent films and we had been really careful to cultivate a, a band of, of merry minstrels, uh, that, uh, just had the right attitude. Um, cause we really wanted to have a no drama policy with the crew and we had over time, I think really pared it down to just like amazing people who are extraordinarily talented, but also, um, just like, a joy to be around and good for morale. And cause you need all that, especially on a lower budget project where we can't just throw money at it to make the problem go away. And that even doesn't always work anyway, but um, you know, these, everybody there was working for something more than just their paycheck. And this was an opportunity to make something they could be proud of and put their stamp on and um, be creative with. So I would say about, a third of the crew I had worked with before and, uh, but almost everybody had worked with one of like either me or the other two or three producers, um, in some capacity. And so we were able to kind of have that high standard, um, that I think made the movie. I mean, it just really made all the difference to have that because one bad apple can just wreck it, you know, a bad attitude or a prima donna kind of personality, um so and i've seen it happen time and time again and we uh just had a great experience on this one and it was i think all due to just hiring you know hiring the right people setting the right tone hopefully um and uh making movie magic every day you know you said you filmed it in uh, burbank so um for the, the jungles of burbank the jungles of burbank exactly <laughs> Uh, was there any problems in uh, when you're filming outside, you know, people being around? No. So, well, all the exteriors were in Puerto Rico oh, okay. uh, in, in the actual jungles. But um, that makes more sense to me. Vast majority of the movie is inside. So we um, built all that uh, in Burbank in a soundstage. And um, so no, no random people. We had a couple of fire alarms because the uh, we had to run so much haze to make it look like a sweaty jungle. Uh, that it kept setting off the fire alarms. We'd all go outside and wait for the fire department to come and walk through and make sure nobody was. They're probably used immol- to it, I guess. Immolated. Yeah. yeah. But we're like, you know, we look like a bunch of maniacs, like, <laughs> like blood yeah. and stuff and goats. And, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, then we went out in the jungle and we still had the, you know, a car would drive by playing like rap music. And we'd have to be like, hold for rap music. We're in the middle of the jungle and there's still people with cars loud enough to ruin our take. So no matter where you go, but the cave uh, was another story like that. The cave itself was so loud that we couldn't, we couldn't hear each other talk um, because of the water and the bats. There was, it, it had rained pretty heavily the past off and on for the week prior. So it was like a raging stream going through the middle of the, the cave that was dry when they had scouted it. And then there were, I would say conservatively a hundred thousand bats, maybe more um, just making so much noise. Like they were just that volume, that, that amount of animals squeaking and making their little sonar noise was um, pretty dang loud. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we were more than six, seven feet apart, we had to walk up to each other to, communicate what we were saying yeah. any any dangers uh filming you know out in the jungle and out in the cave you know not i mean there were some scary bugs um 
there was a thing called like a tailless scorpion or something that's very scary looking. Um, I don't think it's dangerous, but that was interesting. Um, you know, our actually our one um, compost who did the post uh, audio mixing, he actually came with us to Puerto Rico um, to do the, he didn't do the field recording on set normally, but in Puerto Rico he did like, we only had like five, six people that went and he came out with us cause he wanted to get, he like didn't have any, like all of his like CDs and stuff of like stock jungles. And he's like, it all sounds terrible and you've heard it a million times and it's not going to be the right type of jungle. And so he, he bought this, or I don't know if he already had it, but he had this like surround sound microphone that he brought and he was tramping around through the jungle while we were filming, just recording hours of real authentic jungle leaves and wind and rustling and, yeah. and animals and stuff like that. And he, he, he traipsed off one day because he, he came into the, the cave with us. He's like, nope, I can't record in here. Like <laughs> yeah. it was just useless. So he's like, I'm just going to go into the jungle and get some sound. Yeah. So he went off and he was standing in the middle of the forest and, you know, he'd stand there for 20 minutes or whatever and just record. And then he moved on and moved on then came back. And right where he was standing, a tree had fallen. and <laughs> would have crushed him. Oh, this huge, enormous tree, like <laughs> 70 foot tall tree. had just like, so I guess there's a little danger there, yeah, yeah, yeah. but um, <laughs> yeah, we were on, it was pretty, pretty safe. You know, um, the worst thing really was that COVID was just about to blow up. Uh, yeah. We were there. Our hotel was hundred yards from where the cruise ships would park every day. Like five new cruise ships would pull in with like, 40,000 like sweaty potential COVID victims getting off. And that was nerve wracking. Cause we would wake up every morning. Like the first few days, you know, you, the concierge or whatever has like a little bowl of apples and I would like grab an apple on our way to scout. And then by the day, day three, I was like, should I be putting my hand in that bowl and eating that apple? <laughs> like, I don't know what's going to happen. And then, we're in that cave with all those bats. And that's when like rumors were going around that like maybe COVID started from bats and we're like, Oh God, they're going to poop COVID in our mouths. Gonna die. <laughs> um, but we made it out one piece. Yeah. Well, that's good. I'm glad. I'm glad. Uh, how about just uh, the idea of tackling an exorcism movie? Because I always think that in like a shark movie, they're hard to do because <laughs> everyone's going to compare them to exorcist or jaws. But I think in your favorites, it's so much different than, than, than a normal yeah movie. i mean this would be like i don't know if they're like we're doing a, a shark movie but it's in the air you know or whatever you know like <laughs> yeah. it's and it's with a fish um yeah you know it's um it was a little daunting um but there you know time and time again it's like every year there's a new exorcism movie and they're kind of similar to the exorcist and I mean, every year there's probably 10, uh, and it, but every year there's like a decent one or a good one. I'm like, how can they keep making ones that are actually still good? You know? Uh-huh. So I wasn't as scared because the same with like, um, found footage movies. I'm always like, well, that's dead. No one will ever do a good one of those. And then like six months later, someone does one. I'm like, Oh, that was actually pretty good. Good job. <laughs> um, so I think we were, you know, we really were conscious of the history of the exorcism films before us and, um, kind of, used it as an opportunity to just just zig every time they zagged and try to kind of flip everything when we could and spin it. I mean, I thought the fact that it was written, I mean, regardless of the whole like kind of cultural shift, um, doing it from the point of view of the person who was supposedly mm-hmm. possessed, I thought was super fresh. Um, Cause it's always like my daughter's possessed. I need to go to the Vatican and get the, priest to come and you know so this was totally reversed like it was like our main character is possessed the quote-unquote priest is forcibly (laughs) like against her will trying to save her um so i just feel like almost everything about it was like opposite so i was feeling pretty good um about that and and it had been so like so long since there had been an exorcism movie that is like the definitive exorcism movie. So I, you know, I mean, I guess it's the same with jaws like that, but there's still, there's been like multiple good shark movies. 
um, since Jaws, you know, yeah. are still pretty Didn't cool. Did I mention that um, about Exorcist? Because uh, the original Exorcist, like, she's almost like an object. It's not really, you don't really think of it really from her end of the, what's going right. on to her. It's, you know, the mom and then the priests and everybody. So and then you get that one minute at the end where she's like back to normal and you're like, oh, but yeah, you don't know her. No, you know, because I read the book recently. I've been trying to catch up on a lot of uh, classic uh, horror novels during the pandemic. I listened to them on audiobook, and uh, there's really nothing from her side in the book either. Yeah, and same with the Conjuring. You know, like you're kind of more with the exorcists, or or they're not even really exorcists so much, but you know, like you're with the kind of detective mm-hmm. people. So there's like many layers between our kind of true protagonist and the person possessed because you've got then you've got like the mom and the dad or whatever of the family that have a girl that's possessed and um so yeah you're 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 always like so many generations um divorced from the possessee (laughs) i guess or whatever you call it the possessed um and i'm sure there's i mean your fans will probably know like 20 movies that prove me wrong there but i don't really know of any that really took it from that no i i yeah i don't think so either that's interesting but if we go to the uh, horror um, trivia night at in Burbank, they'll, they'll yell at us, maybe. Oh yeah, uh, there's a really gr- that, there's a lot of gross scenes, but for me, in particular is the hair. I don't want to give away the movie, but the hair coming out of the mouth <laughs> is very uh, very disturbing yeah. scene for me to watch. Yeah, we like to say there's like <laughs> Marcus just crammed in like a phobia for everybody. It's like you don't like you don't like rats. We got you snakes check uh hair vomit got it stump body trauma we're in even like people have there's a phobia for everything like people are like oh no not going i'm scared of caves and I'm like uh-huh. caves is a thing <laughs> i didn't know caves in particular were a thing that people were scared yeah, of, i don't but... like the like in uh the descent when they're like like uh when it's real tight the spelunking yeah but it's just the claustrophobia the i yeah, get yeah. but like just being like cave no <laughs> this cave was like 60 right. feet ceilings you know it was, it was huge um yeah uh yeah the hair was was pretty fun uh not for not for bridget um or callie our makeup artist ended up figuring out how to do the hair because we did it's all practical uh-huh. um and at first we had built this whole rig that we'd like we're going to tape on the side of her face and like pull it through like from behind through like a tube and it, it just looked terrible. Um, even though we'd like figured out a pretty, I mean, it looked good in the, in the tests and stuff, but we're just like, it just, uh, so she came up with like the kind of clown. <laughs> like, when you said it was all practical, I started to think maybe it's like a clown. Yeah. Trick. So she had to wind the hair in a special way, like a clown pulling up the, you yeah, know, like the handkerchief scarves from yeah. their, uh, from their wrist or whatever. Um, so that it could fit under Bridget's tongue. And then, and Callie had to like, and this is like we said, like three weeks before COVID, you can never yeah. do this now, but she's literally like our makeup designer was like physically inserting it under the actress's tongue in a special way so that she could still, you know, talk and breathe, but then have it and, and be able to dispense it. So otherwise it would just like come out in one big like hairball, <laughs> you know, like a cat throwing up or something versus like what we wanted is like, 10 feet of disgusting cr- crap and then she would pull it out and different we had this whole bucket full of it's like caro syrup and chocolate syrup and some other goop uh all like edible stuff you know and but nasty looking and she had to dip it back in there and put it in her mouth so there's all the oh. slime coming out and it was um it was pretty disgusting um to do like the long take you know on like you would start to like almost puke <laughs> on set yeah it was like five minutes of pulling this out and then like let's do it again gross well she deserves she deserves a lot of credit for filming that scene yeah she's she's a trooper man because every time she would be like reading the script she'd be like oh so they're gonna do this with the computer right (laughs) nope (laughs) pulling it out yeah it wouldn't have looked nearly as good if you did it in cg no No. it wouldn't be like the way yeah Oh, if you just did it on your, on your computer. So gross. <laughs> so uh, how did you get involved on the producing end? 
I just, you know, I, I started this company 20 years, 20 ish years ago, 19 years ago. And, um, I just wanted to get involved in movies, you know, and people would come to me like, Oh, I've got this project and we need help with this production or with post or with VFX or we need a soundstage or whatever. So I'd kind of like dip my toe in like that. And then, um, I've got a lot of filmmaker friends and stuff like that and they would have projects. And so then I started getting involved, raising money and, um, producing and, um, just doing whatever I could, you know, I mean, I, if, I, if I'm producing a movie, I'm also like the set photographer and I'm doing the VFX and I'm, you know, doing craft services, whatever it takes. Um, but it's hard. Um, it's, it's hard work. I did, I've done, I think I've produced three movies with first time directors and it's, it's a lot of work um, for sure. So I knew what I was asking <laughs> when I asked my producers to produce yeah. for me as a first time director, but I, I also had the opportunity to do that and, and kind of live vicariously through them and kind of get to see some of the, the road roadblocks and stuff like that without it being on my kind of watch, you know? So I was definitely able to carry some of that stuff through and, and, and I think see a little further down the road than a typical first time director. And it helped me, just really focus on the stuff that, that mattered and not get lost in the weeds on things that yeah, I knew would come out in the wash or whatever. Yeah. So um, how did uh, the old ways end up uh, on Netflix? Was that through the festivals? Yeah. So we, um, we got into Sitges um, and then we reached out to some sales reps that we've worked Well, I'm repped at UTA and, so they got involved and then there's this company called XYZ that we've done a few movies with. Um, so I hit them up and was like, Hey, our little movie just, you know, got into one of the three kind of most prestigious yeah. horror uh, yeah. places to go. Um, and they're like, Oh, great. Well, you know, and normally what they would do is they would like set up a party and go to Spain or wherever it is. And, meet all, I think I'll take all these meetings and have secret pre-screenings with buyers and all these, whatever backdoor things. And now I was like, I think they emailed 15 people a link and they're like, <laughs> Hey, it's debuting at Sitges. You want it? And, um, luckily, you know, maybe about five places did, um, at various capacities. And we kind of gotten a little negotiation bidding war kind of thing. And, Netflix um, came to the table with the strongest proposal and obviously the best chance of people seeing it. I think when we were in the middle of a unknown uh, length pandemic, because um, there were other options that were like, we're going to do theatrical and this and that. And we're like, is there a theater? <laughs> we don't know. Right. Um, or does that mean you're going to sit on it for four years until there is a theater? And um, Netflix is like, we've got 250 million subscribers worldwide that will all be able to see it. Um, so we're like, yes, let's, let's do that. Um, and then we still got to release it on Blu-ray and iTunes afterwards. So um, we were able to put together this meaty um, Blu-ray that's got a bunch of cool bonus features and two hours. I don't know if I just told you this, but like a feature length documentary, it's got a commentary track. It's got like almost 30 minutes of deleted extended scenes. It's got storyboard comparisons to the final cut and the whole storyboard, like alternate ending that we couldn't afford to shoot. So if you're into like the how, um, this gets pretty in the weeds and, In That's, a way that, you know, I always uh, love. I like that kind of stuff. And it's becoming less and less uh, out there unless it's like yeah. a restored, you know, movie yeah. from 20 or 30 years ago. Um, usually new, and, a lot of new stuff doesn't get, you know. Yeah. And even those are usually like more retrospective, like right. interviewing someone 40 years after the fact. Like ours is like, it's in the weeds, you know, um, everything from how we did the score and um, to the creature stuff and the effects and all kinds of fun stuff. It's, it's pretty entertaining. I think I enjoy it. Um, I mean, I'm definitely biased, but 
Yeah. It's fun to watch. It's, no, it's, good, not, it's not, it doesn't feel like a marketing, like, you know, like a fluff piece. Um, yeah, yeah. It's and in fact, the editor, Matt, who did the movie edited the behind the scenes thing too, uh, in his spare time. So it was, um, made with love, I think. Nice. I'm a big fan of commentary tracks too. Uh, cool. so I'm looking for it because uh, you don't see that hardly anymore. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Marks and I love them and grew up when well, I grew up on them, but when Blu-ray or when DVDs came out, right. When we right about the time we graduated college, just like went nuts on them. And, and there's such a difference between a good one and a bad one. You know? <laughs> I like say that. Yeah. Lot, I, and I say a lot like, of times you see it, but yeah. it's like the director and the star are just like watching the movie. Like, <laughs> right. Like they might see <laughs> it for the first time. They're like, yeah. They're like, Oh, remember that? Yeah. That was weird. And then like five minutes of silence. You know? <laughs> yeah. So we like, we broke it down. Like we had a whole like bullet point talking point list and we, we would pause and rewind and, do retakes and make sure we could like cram it all in. And so I think it's pretty meaty as well. Uh, or at least I hope it is. We, we tried our best to make it like worth the, worth the watch. Cause yeah. Right. It bugs me. Cause I, 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 I have the criterion streaming service and there's a lot of commentaries on there and they're like, it's like 30 years after the movie was made, they made the commentary and it's just like not good sometimes. Like they're just, <laughs> They can't remember. They're like, oh, you remember? We filmed that by the beach. Like, yeah, I know. That's a beach. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> or, yeah, they're like specific, actually telling you what's happening in the movie. It's like, yeah, yeah, like yeah. here's a part where I walk in and I tell her about the dog. You know? <laughs> yeah, you're, just, you're telling me what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I don't need a like a like the visual impaired description language. Like that's already on there. Like, yeah. yeah. But but then there's ones that are just like so yeah. rich and you're like, ah, oh, yeah, this is great. This is why I bought this thing. So mm-hmm. that's what we're trying to do. Yeah. yeah. Do you have a, that's a weird question, but do you have any favorite commentary tracks? I don't know. You know, I, I used to, Robert Rodriguez did so many cool things on his DVDs. We were big fans of his when we were in college because uh, El Mariachi had, just come out i think desperado came out when we were like freshmen or something in college and he had he'd, he'd written a book right before then about how he made el mariachi and it was super inspiring and um he would just do so many cool little things like little videos and stuff and um i just loved like they were so practical like you could they were like mini film school lessons you know and um i loved i loved all that stuff that he did on those um I'm trying to think. I mean, I remember back in the day, I haven't heard it in a long time, but like the laser disc of Star Wars um had one or two commentary tracks that were pretty pretty cool. I mean, but it was also like the first time I'd heard a commentary, so yeah. it was blowing my mind. Um because I didn't even I don't even think I knew anyone with a laser disc, but there was like a laser disc store and they were just always playing that and I would stand back there and watch it in like 30 minute increments until it told me to leave. Um, but yeah, um, I, I, I can't think off the top of my head because it's been, so I haven't really gotten that much physical media lately. Um, it's hard for me to know. Mm-hmm. I've got a bunch of criterions on, on DVD that aren't even opened. Yeah. That I was like, this is special. I'll, I'll open it one day, but not now. And now it's been like 25 years. Yeah. They're actually not worth any more sealed. I looked on eBay because oh, yeah. like people can fake the seal or whatever. Oh, so it doesn't right, help. Right. Um, <laughs> I've got like the killer, um, which is a good one. And Robocop, like the extended edition of that. And there's some good stuff there. Yeah. If you need to know the head, the body count of Robocop, you have yeah, to ask, yeah, is it the director's really cut or is it yeah. the regular cut? Because <laughs> they yeah. just start murdering people for no reason in that <laughs> the director's cut. Uh-huh. But yeah, that used to be exciting if I would see there was multiple commentary tracks for a movie. Yeah. Like, oh, wow, this is great. Yeah, I mean, why not? It was so cool. I love it. Uh, I wish they would start doing more of it on iTunes and stuff. And and like, yeah, I don't see any reason why Netflix wouldn't do it. Um, I was I'm, I'm optimistic about them because they did a bunch of like cool documentary stuff for um, Army of the Dead. Mm-hmm. Um 
that wasn't just like promo stuff, you know, and they put it on the service. So, and like Disney plus was doing it with the Mandalorian and things like that. So I'm, I'm, um, I'm hoping that that kind of stuff's going to make a comeback because it's very inexpensive to do. And yeah. the people who like it, like love it, you know? Yeah, I do. So that that's interesting. Cause I think that kind of, people would buy physical media if there's more stuff on there. And with the rise of all the different streaming sites, probably to stand out, like you start adding some more incentives. Like uh, we have, you know, these other things on here in addition to just the movie or the series. Yeah. Yeah. I used to work in movie. Well, I still do, but I used to do a lot of like advertising for movies and um, we would do back in the heyday of DVDs, you know, they called it VAM value added material. And it would be, we'd do these whole commercials that were just like, you know, 20 deleted scenes, two hours of this commentary by this, this, and this trailer. You know? <laughs> oh, wow. The trailers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's always exciting to be able to watch uh, the trailer of the movie that you're watching. Yeah. Which is kind of cool when it's like an old movie. It's yeah. Like, oh, Cause they're the one that you can't just, yeah, you like even, right even like a movie that came out in the mid nineties, you watch the trailer and you're like, what is going on? <laughs> like, this is so different. Mm-hmm. Well, now the Tremosa trailers are like the whole movie in in, a, in two minutes. Oh yeah, you gave away the whole the whole. Thing. I won't I won't watch them because I've worked in trailers and I know like I know the I know the secrets. Even with some shot that's in the beginning, I'm like, that's from the end. You just <laughs> spoiled that for me. <laughs> that is what's a, a big part of going to the festivals for me is you get to see a lot of movies that a lot of times I don't know anything about going in. Oh yeah. You just watch them. And if it, you know, it's, it's impractical to go just see movies, you know, nothing about, but at a festival you can. And uh, yeah, you know. that's why I love fantastic fest. Cause you can like crank. I don't know if you've been to that one, but I haven't. Oh, you should hit fantastic fest is a very fun festival for just movie lovers. Cause you, it's in Austin. It's at the Alamo draft house and it's in one multiplex the whole festival so i like the festivals that are in one and so what they do is they set it up i think there's i can't remember five or six i think it's might be six at least five slots and it's the same slots like every day um so you just sign up if you have a pass you just sign up for your first second and third choice for each slot and they had assign you the tickets you usually get your first choice unless it's like a huge premiere thing or something um and it's just so cool because it's like all the movies are starting at noon mm-hmm. no matter what's playing so it's not because like at a normal festival you're like you spend so much time trying to figure out like <laughs> okay this movie starts at noon but my next movie is at 2 15 and it's three miles away and i got to get there but my friend isn't he doesn't have tickets to that one he's got a movie at three so I guess I'll see him tomorrow, you know, like I'm never going to see him again. Whereas this one, it's like, if you don't even, if you don't have the same movies, your friends are not interested in the same movie. You'd just be like, I'll meet you in the bar after in, you know, in 90 minutes and they're just all back there. And then you're back on the same schedule and you can go see the next movie together. And it's, it's the only festival where I've been able to consistently hit, you know, five movies a day. Uh, Cause that's like at Sundance or somewhere you'd like set a record. If you, if you could see five movies in a day, right. especially if it's snowing and stuff and you know, yeah. um, you're walking across town or trying to find a bus. But um, so if you just want to like crank through 15, 20 movies in three or four days, like and drink and eat and everything. And the whole the time, Alamo it, draft a, house is a good play. I went to South Texas underground film festival and they did theirs mm-hmm. Alamo draft house. And it's an excellent place to watch movies because you can eat and drink while you're watching the movies. Yeah, it's it's fun. Um, so that's a, I would put that one on your list. I think they just they're just wrapping it up right now for this year. Um, but go next year. Yeah, no COVID. Yeah, hopefully exactly. I'll be there. Yeah, because I've got I went a couple of years in a row because we we had some movies. The Wind played there, Mortuary Collection, some other stuff. Um, so it's gotten to the point now. Now when I go there, it's like I have three, four friends with movies there also. So it's like super cool to be supporting them and see, and they get to see your movie and it's very communal. Yeah. I always mention that on the show, like I've been to different ones uh, in bu- Buffalo a couple of times in Boston and stuff. And it's cool to see the same people who, who are always there supporting each other's films and they might've worked on each other's stuff. And uh, I just like that about the film, especially uh, some of the smaller ones have a really big uh, community feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm in Dinah go to Chattanooga. We, we played there, but I didn't get to go cause they didn't do, 
uh, in person this year, but I hear that's kind of like that too. And Panic Fest is supposed to be like that. Um, also, didn't get to go to that, but you know, one day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, main thing I I want everyone to be healthy and everything, obviously. But uh, that's the main mm-hmm. thing I missed during pandemic was going to the festivals. Yeah, for sure. So, are you working on anything currently? Well, I we my company made um, Muppets Haunted Mansion that comes out Friday uh, on Disney Plus. Uh, so, if you like, I Muppets, do like Muppets or Disneyland, um, you might like. You might like this. It turned out really good. So look forward to that. Um, I've got, you know, nothing too crazy yet. I've got a couple of things in the hopper that we're trying to get off the ground. Um, as well as, you know, we might start pitching like a sequel or TV series or something for the old ways. Um, oh, interesting. But uh pandemic kind of slowed stuff down and we were also, you know, we're still in the process of getting this movie out and, um, trying to make a name for ourselves in the industry with, with that kind of stuff. So hopefully, hopefully this will lead to some more um, exciting projects and we'll be talking on future episodes about future things. Yeah. Sounds good. So old ways is on Netflix right now. And next week, the 12th, it'll be on digital. And is that also when the, the physical release? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're also, I think pre-sales are already open for um, the record. So we're doing a vinyl of it. Oh, that's some, cool. A, gorgeous artwork if you check it out um i think burning witches records is releasing it and uh it's pretty sick um so that's one that if you like to collect things that you can touch that'll be a good one (laughs) there was like a there's the pandemic has caused a shortage on vinyl so like we had to we wanted it to come out a few weeks ago but it's like we're waiting for like the the pucks oh the actual vinyl to show up (laughs) all right yeah like the actual material yes yeah it's hard to find (laughs) Um, so hopefully that's coming very soon. Very cool. And uh, how can people follow you or, or the film? Yeah, I'm, um, I'm my name, Chris Allender, uh, at, you know, Twitter, Instagram, uh, the old ways movie at both of those, as well as the website. There's like mugs and stuff up there. T-shirts. If you like merch, we got that. Um, and news about upcoming, uh, release information and stuff like that will be there. Um, uh, what else? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, if you have any questions, hit me up on you know, Twitter or whatever, and I'll probably answer it if it's not insulting. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> like half of Twitter. <laughs> yeah, they're just half of the internet pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's been very cool to talk with you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate yeah. it. All right, we'll talk to you again soon. Great. Cheers. Bye. From ancient terrors to the search for modern day conspiracies, the tomb of Nick Cage is the new sound in horror rock. Uncover the mystery of old world horror for the new world order on iTunes, Amazon, and more. We should have The Tomb of Nick Cage. They're coming tonight! Mostly! They're coming tonight! Mostly! They're coming tonight! Mostly! They're coming tonight! Mostly! Find out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The Tomb of Nick Cage. Oh,